are in a sermon season. For those of you that are new, we are walking through the seven I am statements of Jesus in the book of John. The entire narrative of the book of John is built on seven I am statements that culminate with I am the resurrection and the life after he raises Lazarus from the dead. That's not today. So if you were expecting an Easter message today of I am the resurrection and the life, come back in two weeks. Today, we're talking about the gate. And to refresh you, uh, Jesus says, I am the gate. The audience that he is speaking to is the same audience he was talking to last week when he said, I am the light of the world. It's the Pharisees. So he's confronting the Pharisees' blindness, and he's still rolling along the same narrative, and he jumps in, John 10, 1 through 10. Let's go for it. I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of the sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice, and they come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he's gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant. So he explained it to them. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. A little more context for you. John chapter 9, Jesus comes and he says, while I am still in the world, I am the light of the world. He spits in some mud, rubs it together, puts it on a blind man's eyes, heals the blind man of his sight. The blind man goes around bragging about having his sight and the Pharisees say to him, hang on, hang on, whoa, whoa, whoa. What, what are you saying happened? Who told you that you could talk about this? Who gave you permission to share about this miracle? They question him twice. After the second time he says to him, I don't know what you want from me. Here's what I do know. I was blind and now I, I was blind but now I see. And then he, he questioned him. He says, by the way, why are you so interested? Do you want to become his disciples as well? At that point, Jesus jumps in and Jesus says to them, I have come to give sight to the blind, to awaken those who are spiritually blind. And the Pharisees say to Jesus, whoa, 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 are you calling us blind? And Jesus says, No. If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty. He said, you're guilty because you claim you can see. And then he rolls into John chapter 10. You know, for me, um, it, on Saturday morning, when I asked Canaan to help me make breakfast, right? I'm like, hey, buddy, let's make breakfast together for the family. And he reaches in the fridge and he grabs the egg carton and he pulls it out. It's that flimsy cardboard paper, whatever it is, right? And a couple eggs fall out of it and they smash on the ground. That doesn't make me mad. That's an accident, right? He's trying to help me. It's just, a, it's just an accident. Oh, let me get some paper towels and I'll help you and we'll, we'll get this cleaned up. But... When he takes two eggs and he sets them on the counter and he starts spinning them to see how fast he can spin them, and 31 times I tell him, eggs are not toys, don't play with eggs, you're going to make a mess, and he's sitting there spinning and spinning and spinning, and then they hit each other and they fly off the counter and they smash over the floor. Do you think I'm mad? 
It's been 31 times of telling you not to play with the eggs, and now we've got a mess on our hands. That's where Jesus is with the Pharisees. He's saying, no, 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 if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty. Listen, if you were blind, you wouldn't be in trouble. The problem is you think you can see. The problem is you think you can see, and here are the things that you can't see past. Point number one, the thing they couldn't see past was their own religion. They were so stuck in their own religious ways. Literally, they have a man who is healed from being blind, and they're questioning him because he's announcing it to the wrong people, and he bathed in a pool that he wasn't supposed to be in. What? Another time, Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath, and they come to Jesus and say, hey, you kind of broke a rule there. Not really supposed to do that on the Sabbath. Those things are not supposed to happen on the Sabbath. They had so many religious rules that kept them from getting to where Jesus wanted to be. We don't have those, right? No, we don't have those. Two weeks ago, we didn't have college students in tears getting baptized right here, and we have people who are more concerned about style of worship than seeing life change. No, not us, right? Not us, we would never do that. I remember I used to work at the Ark in Conroe, and some guy in the parking lot came in. He was in a Raptor. Why is it always the Raptor guys, by the way? What is up with bros in a Raptor, right? Attitude, instant edge. You see a guy in a Raptor, you're like, that dude's edgy. I know that. I already see it. I drive a Ram. Thank you very much. But he's, he pulls in, and he wants this parking spot that's like by an island so he can back his truck in, and no one can door ding his driver's side door. And we're like, oh, man, that lot's closed. We'll redirect you over here. Heels out, whips around the island, speeds 70 miles an hour down our drive, and he leaves church because he's so mad he couldn't get his parking spot. Meanwhile, lives are being changed, right? This was the Pharisees. They couldn't see past their own rules. They couldn't see past their own regulation. Maybe you haven't been in church for a while and someone convinced you, bribed you, or drug you here on Easter because you have a childhood of rules that have been hung over your head and been policed into you every moment and every second to where you're saying, if that's what I have to do, I don't want anything of that. Jesus came to set them free from that and they couldn't see it. It's why they were enslaved to the law. The first thing they were stuck in was their religion. The second thing they were stuck in was their past. What did they say to Jesus in John chapter 9 when he confronts them and he says, my father has brought me here to bring sight to the spiritually blind. They say, well, our father's Abraham. They're stuck in their past. He says, great. If Abraham's your daddy, you would do what your daddy says and your daddy would recognize me. In essence, Jesus said, I'm your daddy now, Right? He said, if Abraham's your dad, he'd recognize me, but they were so stuck in their past. What did they say to Jesus in John chapter 8? Moses gave our ancestors manna from heaven. Jesus said, no, he didn't. I, I gave you manna. I am the bread of life. I'm the source of your bread. You didn't get your bread from Moses, but they were so stuck in their past, they could not move forward to where Jesus was calling them. We're not stuck in our past, right? I will tell you, nothing drives me nuts. Those of you who've been around me for a while, nothing drives me more nuts than this statement. Well, it's just the way I am. Just the way I, my granddad was like this, my daddy was like this, and I'm like this, and my kids will be like this. Let me ask you a question. Do you not think that the God who created you and the God who saved you can't change you? 
Do you not think that the God who created you and saved you cannot change you? Can't tra- I can't stand just the way I am. I am an angry, frustrated, hard-hearted son of a Baptist, and I'll always be that way. You don't have to be. You can change. That's what he's saying to the Pharisees. You want to change? It's right here. I'm right in front of you. How many times does he have to put it right in front of their face? The third thing they couldn't see past was themselves. They were so stuck in themselves. They wouldn't, I mean, literally this culminates in John chapter 11, we'll be there in two weeks, where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. When he raises Lazarus from the dead, they gather together and they say, we gotta kill him. We gotta kill him. Because if he keeps doing stuff like this, people are gonna start following this man. And if people start following this man, we will have to change our ways. They would rather have killed Jesus than let go of what they thought was control of their life. They literally, we'll be there in two weeks. They literally, their response to four days in a grave, risen from the dead, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And they're like, we gotta kill him. We have to stop this now. They can't get past themselves. They can't get over themselves. They can't get free from themselves. And Jesus comes and he says, I am the gate. If you want freedom from religious rules and the law that has enslaved you, I am the gateway to that freedom. If you want freedom from your past and you want to transform and be somebody new and listen to a new voice and have a new voice lead you, I am that person. If you want freedom from yourself, if you are tired of self-sabotage and self-destruction, I am that person. But he says, I am the gate and you have to walk through it. The problem is they weren't willing to walk through the gate. They weren't willing to do it. This would have been a very familiar metaphor to shepherds in all of Jewish history at this time. When they made sheep pens during this era, they would stack rocks all around in a giant pen, and they would leave this opening. In fact, guys, you guys have a picture of it. This is from earlier than 100 AD, so very likely during the time of Jesus' life. This was a sheep pen. It's, it's still standing today. This picture is of one This gap right here, you see that? It's open. That's where the shepherd slept. That's where the shepherd would stay. Show me the next picture. There's a painting. Got to throw a painting in there for Grandma on Easter, right? Uh, You see the the shepherd right down there? He's he's sitting there in the gate, right? Uh, That is... That is what Jesus is saying, and this is instantly what they would have known. When Jesus says, I am the gate for the sheep, they're thinking he is the person who sits in the gap and decides who comes in and who goes out. He protects what is in, and he keeps away what is out that doesn't bother in there. He's the gate. I'll tell you my version of being the gate. I was a youth camp counselor for a bunch of high school terrorists one year. I mean, these kids were out. These boys were out of control. They executed the greatest prank I've ever seen in the history of, of youth camps. I know we got some Carolina Creek folks in the house somewhere. I mean, this is, this is the best prank I've ever seen executed, right? I mean, we almost had to kill one of them to justify everything. We're like, okay, there's 16 of you. There's going to be 15. You guys pick who goes, but someone's got to pay the price for this thing, right? Um, Two o'clock in the morning, girls' cabin is two bunks, and they all have their windows open because they want to sleep with the ocean breeze blowing through, you know, they want to smell the ocean while we sleep. So they got all their windows open. Bad move. Bad move with this crew. These guys made 
gas canister bombs out of Axe. You know the Axe spray? They took Axe spray and black electrical tape, and there's a little tab on the top that you pull back and it starts spraying, right? They taped the tab down, and simultaneously, it was like a Navy SEAL invasion of the girls' cabin. They start throwing these gas canisters inside of the girls' cabin at 2 a.m., gassed them out, like totally smoked them out. They're walking out of there. They can't breathe. They got ax in their eyes, ax in their nose, ax in their lungs. They're coughing. Meanwhile, on the second level of the girls' cabin, they have another group of guys that are stationed with buckets of ocean water. So the girls come out, and they dump buckets of ocean water on top of them. So they're, they're gassed, they can't breathe, they can't see. Now they're soaking wet in salt water. And then, now it gets better, they have frontline infantrymen who come running around the corner with handfuls of flour and they just start pasting each one of them with flour. I mean, gassed out by ax, coughing, choking, can't see. It's two o'clock in the morning, soaking wet, and now they're getting flour to the face. I mean, right? Pretty good. <laughs> Nicely done. I, I get out. I mean, I walked out there. The cat, I heard all this screaming, and I look out there, and I am like, what in the world has happened? Like, what? They're like, man, we don't know. We, we came to help. We came to help. We just heard screaming, and we came. I think someone ran around here and did this to all the girls, but we, we, got, we got no idea. So I get them all back in the cabin, and I'm like, okay, two things. One, nice job. That was, that was executed very, very well. Uh, two, and I mean, Camp Karens were going crazy, right? Like all the moms were like, call Jesus, call the police, call their parents, send them home now. Like one of them has to be on this altar for sacrifice now. Someone's paying for all this. So I got them all in this room and I'm like, listen guys, well done, you're a bunch of idiots. You're never gonna do anything during this camp that I don't see or hear or I'm not with you. So here's what we're gonna do. I took the bed, I moved my bed in front of the door and I said, you're not getting out of here unless you go through me. And if you go out there and I shut this door, you're not coming in here unless you go through me. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I am the gate. I am the one you come through to get in and I am the one you come through to get out. And there is no way you're getting into this place if it's not through me. In that, Jesus gives three invitations in the first four verses of John. He gives three invitations for us, and then he comes back in 9 through 10, and he fulfills the invitations. Here's invitation number one, to go through the gate. First invitation from Jesus, welcome through the gate. Would you walk through the gate? John 10, 2 through 3 says, but the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice, and they come to him. Listen to me. Jesus is the gate. The only way in is through Jesus. It doesn't matter how many Instagram followers you have. It does not matter how much money is in your bank account. It does not matter what your reputation is, how athletic you are, funny you are, cute you are, smart you are, talented you are, how high you can jump, how fast you can run. It does not matter. That doesn't get you into the gate. It is going through Jesus. That's the first message to the Pharisees. I think it's great. You got control of everything and you're overseeing everything. But if you don't go through me, you're not getting to where you want to go. Second invitation was to allow him to lead. I love this about our God that he doesn't call us into salvation and then send us out on our own. In fact, John 10, 3 through 4, it says the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice 
and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. Jesus doesn't call us into salvation and then send us out to let culture eat us alive. He calls us into salvation and then he says, if you will go out now, you will have my voice and I will lead my sheep. Matthew chapter 10, he says, send you out as sheep among wolves. If you read down further, it says, but don't be afraid because my spirit will go before you. He said, I'm not sending you out alone. You're not alone anymore. You don't have to be alone anymore. Funny fact about sheep. Sheep cannot see past their nose. Many believe they can't see even, even, even that close. They can't see anything in front of them. They can only see. They have really good peripheral vision, and they have really good sense of sound. So when a shepherd is leading his sheep, he has to be in front of them, and they memorize his voice. It's the only way they can find direction, which is why Jesus' third invitation is so important. He invites us not only to come in and be saved, not only to go out under his leadership, but to have his voice to follow. Listen to him. He says, John 10, verse 5, they won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. When a thief or a robber wanted to steal somebody else's sheep, what they would do was they would dress up like the shepherd and they would try to memorize the shepherd's call. So they would, they would listen to that shepherd, call his sheep, and they would try to memorize that call. And then they would go and mimic that call in another pasture and try to lure that shepherd's sheep over to them. And the sheep that followed it would lead themselves to slaughter and destruction. But the sheep that heard it and didn't recognize the call, they would scatter and they would run. That's exactly what Jesus is telling the Pharisees. I set you free from those voices that are leading you to destruction. Jesus is the voice that sets us free. The, the voice that's saying to us, take another drink or pop another pill or send another text message or do another internet search or keep that relationship going on at work that's going to destroy your marriage or your life's not worth living anymore. We have all of these voices that are soliciting us that want to steal, kill, and destroy but we're saying, I don't know what else to listen to. Jesus is saying, I'm the gate. I'm the voice. If you want a voice to follow that's going to set you free from that voice of destruction, that's me. Those are the three invitations of Jesus. He says, I give you a place to go. I lead you out and I give you a voice to follow. After all of that, he confronts the blindness of the Pharisees, I am the light of the world. He does a miracle right in front of their face. He tells them, I am the gate, an illustration they were intimately familiar with. They look at him, and here is how they respond. John 10, 6 through 8. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant. I mean, how many times? Every single I am statement that Jesus makes, they don't understand what he means. They, they're just blind. He's saying, they don't understand. So he explained it to them, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not 
listen to them. What Jesus does after he declares his invitations and he, he, he makes it super clear, I am the gate, is then he goes into answering the three invitations that he gave. So John, John chapter 10, verses 9 through 10, Jesus gave us the invitation to walk through the gate. What happens when we walk through the gate? Jesus gave us the invitation to follow his lead. What happens when we walk through and we follow his lead? Jesus gave us the invitation to listen to his voice. Now listen to how he follows this up. Number one, Jesus calls us through the gate. What happens? John 10 verse 9. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. When we walk through through the gate, we step into salvation. We believe that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again, ascended to be with the Father, and we will one day ascend to be with him. And in the meanwhile, he's given us the Holy Spirit to empower us to live like Jesus and do what he did. That's what Jesus is saying, is I am the only way, the gate to salvation. In fact, Acts 4, 11 through 12, says for Jesus, the one referred to in the scriptures, where it says the stone you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. John 14, 6, we'll be here in three weeks. Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. I heard a, a story of a guy in Waco who wanted to go see Baylor play at Madison Square Garden in New York. And so there was a group of 10 of them, and they were all planning this trip. They booked their flights, got their hotels, and his one job was to get the tickets. They were like, okay, you find 10 tickets. We'll all pay you for our part. You get the tickets for us. So he gets online, and he starts searching for tickets, and they were way too expensive online. So he was like, you know what? I think it'd be a really good idea to just wait and go there the day of and find a scalper and buy my tickets from a scalper. Great idea, right? So he gets there. They arrive 30 minutes beforehand. He's got a group of 10 people with him. He's walking around, hitting people up, and he finally finds a guy who's like, yeah, I got 10 tickets. And he gives him, he sells him 10 tickets, and he's got a smoking deal on him. He's really excited about it. So he goes back. He gives the tickets to everyone, and they're all excited, and they're standing at the gate. And all of a sudden, the lady scans the ticket, and he goes, er. So he takes another ticket, scans it, er. He's, he's sitting there watching. He's like, what? Takes it, scans another ticket. And, and he said, ma'am, is there a problem? And she said, yeah, the problem is these tickets are fake. And he says, what? No way. Like, there's no way. That, that can't be. I just bought them from some guy that's no longer there. But like, there's no way. I, I just got these 10 tickets. Is there anything that you can do? And he looked at her. He said, I'm sorry, but there's nothing I can do when you don't have the ticket. Interestingly enough, Matthew chapter 25, Jesus gives a really similar parable when he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. He said there are 10 bridesmaids, and all 10 were supposed to bring a lamp and an oil. Only five brought the lamp and the oil. They were called wise. The other five brought the lamp with no oil. So Jesus comes out as the bridegroom. He opens up the door, and the five with the oil are there, and they are welcomed in. And then the five without the oil that went to find the oil came back. And here's the narrative in Matthew 25, uh, starting in verses 10 through 12. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Same Greek word Jesus uses to define himself. Verse 11. 
Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. Listen, if you want to get in, you have to have the right ticket. If you want in the door to the wedding feast, you've got to have the oil. You've got to have the right oil. This is the invitation of Jesus. Jesus is making it so crystal clear. If you want in, if you want salvation, if you want to be in eternity with me someday, if you want to rise when I return, if you want that, there is only one way in and it's through the gate and you can have all the control you want all the money you want all the fame you want and all the status you want but if you don't have the ticket if you haven't walked through the gate you're not getting in that's the first invitation that Jesus answers he says come through the gate and you will be saved the second invitation Jesus makes is he says, if you come in, I will lead you out. And the promise is, we find good pastures. Listen to the rest of verse 9. John 10, verse 9. They will come and go freely and will find, circle that word if you have your Bible, good pastures. We'll come back to that. James 1, 17 says, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. Matthew 7, 11 says, so if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, will your, how much more likely will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him. In other words, there is a goodness that comes from the gate when we follow him out of it. When we're willing to walk with him out of it, when we submit to his leadership, there is a goodness that follows us. That's not to promise that life is going to be perfect. In fact, Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. So you can expect having trouble, but he says, take no fear, for I have conquered the world. What it does mean is in Psalm 23, when David says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Psalm 23, 6, surely your goodness and mercy and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. When Jesus says, if you come through the gate, And then if you let me lead you out of the gate, you will find good pastures. That word good pastures is a really unique Greek word. In fact, it's only used one other place in the Greek New Testament. It's in 2 Timothy 2.17. It's a figurative word that gives you the picture of something rapidly spreading, like multiplying and rapidly spreading all over the place. And and here, interestingly enough, here's how the word's used in 2 Timothy 2.17. He said, this kind of talk spreads like cancer. Same word, nome, Greek word. He's saying it spreads rapidly. Speaking of of negative talk about the kingdom, he's saying there is a, a talk that spreads like this, but there's also a goodness that spreads like this. I know that word cancer can be a painful word, a difficult word to process. I have a friend I'm praying for right now that is walking through cancer, but Jesus is saying, I will redeem the word cancer with something that will spread goodness and mercy and love throughout your life if you allow me to lead you through it. It is a rapidly multiplying good pasture that we find. I don't know why this just popped into my head, but I'll share it with you anyway. Speaking of pranks, it's pranks and it's seeing Joe over there. Maybe Joe's a prankster. I don't know. Um, 
when I was growing up, one of the pranks I loved to do was we, we would take shaving, cans of shaving cream and we would freeze them. Like you put them in the freezer and they freeze solid and then you can get a knife and you can cut the can off. And when you cut the can off, you're left with just this block of shaving cream, right? And it's, and it's firm and it's solid and then you can put it in someone's backpack or a locker or something like that. And when it thaws out, it, I mean, it just goes crazy, right? It just, it expands like shaving cream does and multiplies everywhere, right? So my friends and I thought it'd be a great idea to get about 25 of them ready for senior day. We're gonna to prank a bunch of people with it, and we put 25 of them in my friend's dad's chest freezer with a cow that they had just recently processed, and the power went out in their basement. And he said his dad went downstairs and opened the freezer, and he said it looked like he was at a phone party at a pool in Vegas. Like he opened it, and it just everywhere. He said there was shaving cream everywhere. He said my dad was screaming and coughing and covered in shaving cream and so upset. And he said, man, we didn't know how to like get rid of it or stop it. It just spread. I don't know why that came to me. The goodness of God just spreads, right? It just multiplies, and if you will let him lead you, it will multiply into every area of your life. You want goodness in your life. You want the goodness of God with your children. You want the goodness of God in your home. You want the goodness of God in your marriage. You want the goodness of God in your family. The question to ask is this, who am I following? Who am I following? Because the world will not lead you to goodness. We're about to get there. The world will lead you to destruction. Your favorite politician won't lead you to goodness. The news won't lead you to goodness. Instagram won't lead you to goodness. All these get-rich-quick gurus on Instagram won't lead you to goodness. They may make you rich, but they won't lead you to a multiplying goodness of God because it only comes by one way, walking through the gate and then coming out under the leadership of Jesus. And this is where he finishes right here. So he changes the voice that we listen to, right? He said, my sheep will hear my voice. When we listen to his voice, we find purpose. John 10, 5, he said, they won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. John 10, verse 10. You'll notice there's two purposes. There's two pathways. There's one decision. If this doesn't summarize Easter, I don't know what does. He said, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. Those soliciting voices that are trying to lure you away from the fold that Jesus wants you in, those voices that are calling you and repeating over and over and over in your mind, he said, they only want to lead you to slaughter. They only exist to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I like to finish Easter with a little of my testimony. Many of you know my dad spent half my adult life in prison before he passed away. And for me as a teenager, I was an angry, frustrated, rebellious kid. I hated authority. I pushed back against any form of, I had a father wound the size of a canyon in my heart. I remember in seventh grade, one of my teachers saying to me, Luke, it doesn't matter what I say to you. You're like a pit bull backed into a corner, just barking and fighting at everything that comes near you. That still stuck with me today because I remember thinking, you're right. The problem is I don't know what to do. 
I don't know what to do. I'm hurt, I'm angry, I'm frustrated, I feel abandoned, and I have all of these voices saying to me, forget about authority, do whatever you want, don't let people see your weakness, and all of these angry things rising up within my spirit, I didn't know what to do. I was hearing voices that wanted to steal, kill, and destroy, and I was reluctantly walking towards them because, I mean, dad's not here, what does it matter? What should I care anyway, right? And I heard the message of Jesus. I heard the message of Jesus, of a Savior who came to this earth to die on the cross for my sins, to forgive me and to rise and leave me as spirit, to give me a satisfying life. It's what my heart longed for was satisfaction. My heart cried for something to solve this void and this anger and this hurt. And so Jesus, when I, when I heard the message of salvation, it was spiritual adoption for me. I gave my heart to Jesus and immediately I was set free from my past. I let go of anger and I found what looked like a real and satisfying life. That is the message of Easter and that's the message of the gate. We walk through the gate to be saved. We go out of the gate under his leadership and we have a new voice that leads us to a rich and satisfying life. 